And we're back. I've promised Ryan this is the last time we're recording this intro, so we better get it right. Welcome to Abstractable. I'm Lockie and this is Ryan. And the Abstractable podcast is for curious people who want to learn. We dig into our favourite thinkers and uncover what to take away from their ideas, usually something from their books or podcasts or other things they've put out. In this episode, we talk about a book that's really close to our hearts. It's The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And this is a man who walks as he talks. We cover what it takes to write multiple bestsellers. We talk about Stephen's concept of resistance and the big war that we have to overcome it. We talk about what the difference is between the creative professional and the amateur or the hack and how long it takes Locke to run to the other side of his house to pick up his iPhone charger. So why are we talking about this? Well, we talk about it for anyone who's ever procrastinated, a pretty narrow audience, and because it will get you motivated to do what you really care about. You can find out more about the author at stephenpressfield.com or on Twitter at spressfield. We hope you enjoy the episode. And we're back. G'day, G'day Ryan. How are you? I'm well, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. I'm, I'm, I don't think there's an answer we'd give that's any other way. That's the Aussie way. That's it. You've got to say you're good even if you're crying on the inside. And what are we doing today, Lockie? Uh, today we're talking about The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which is an absolutely fantastic book that I could recommend to everybody to read because it's pretty short. You can read it in a few hours and it's very motivational. Yeah. You, 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 you leave the book every time you've put it down, kind of wanting to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, which is, you know, that's pretty cool. And it's, a, it's, you know, it's had an effect on a lot of people. Where did you hear about this book? I think I just heard enough people talk about it. So um, I think Ryan Holiday really comes to mind. Um, and for those that don't know Ryan, we've, we've actually done an episode, Obstacle is the Way. Um, speaking about one of his many books, uh, a guy that's written, you know, I don't know, six or seven books, and he's 31, 32. So he, he acclaims this particular book has been the, the thing that gets him through, which is pretty incredible. He can't stop. Yeah. If he's a motivated machine already, if he reads this book, he'd be going off tap, I reckon. Yeah. He's putting the, the premium fuel in, mate. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, so this, this, this book is, is for the avid procrastinator. Um, mm. And so I definitely fit in that that bracket. Um, don't know about you, Lockie? With certain things, yes, definitely. Yeah, certain and it's, categories of things. And it's for the um, you know even even the people that have had maybe a little bit of a creative calling somewhere deep inside, lurking in their in their soul, um, you know, and maybe maybe some some questions that actually Pressfield ask at the start of his book is, you know, have you ever bought a treadmill and now it just gathers dust? Uh, ever quit a diet, a yoga course, you know, wanted to play piano or paint, uh, wanted to start a venture or business uh, or crusade for world peace. So if you fit within one of those brackets, this book is for you. And added bonus, it's about 150 pages. 
super short. Perfect. That's what we like. Um, yeah, it's for sure one of those books that, you know, it's essentially about overcoming your fear of doing something, what he calls resistance. And the whole book's around kind of how you overcome that kind of inability to act. Yeah. So Pressfield, he's now 76 years old, which, um, yeah, means he was born quite some time ago. He was actually born in the port of Trinidad, which is just off the northern uh, northern coast of Venezuela in South America uh, because his old That's man. That's cool. Yeah, his old man was in the Navy and he was stationed there. Um, right. A bit of a strategic, strategic outpost, I think, um, the port of Trinidad. Um, 1965, he went to Duke University. 1966, he joined the Marine Corps and he was there until 1971 um, as a rifleman. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Yeah, so he's, he's had a bit of a military background, which I think, I, think has, I think has something to kind of play in with both some of his writing, so some of the books he's written, which we'll get to, um, for those that don't know, and also uh, his disciplined way of life. So his first job uh, when he moved to New York City uh, was a $150 a week copywriter for Benton and Bowles. Um, And one day while rewriting um, the just add water text from the black label of gravy train dog food, he asked himself, shouldn't I be doing something a little bit more worthwhile? And he decided to quit his job and write a novel. Oh, that's a cool story. So have you... Seen the show Mad Men at all? I've seen maybe an episode or two. Yeah, Christy and I are rewatching it. It's one of our, um, I suppose, lockdown shows that we've kind of decided to crack back into. And it's actually really cool and it's got a lot about creativity and, I mean, a lot of other deeper stuff too that isn't as, as nice. But, you know, it's about an ad agency in the 60s. And um, some of the stuff they come up with for some pretty boring products is pretty cool. I, I imagine that explanation is just for those people like me who live under a rock and haven't seen the show because I'm pretty sure 90% of the population's <laughs> probably seen that show. Yeah, it's been out for many years. So, yeah, it's not exactly groundbreaking hearing it here first stuff, but, you know, we try our best. Uh, so... Pressfield was an advertising copywriter. Uh, he was a school teacher. He was a tractor trailer driver. He was a bartender. He was an offshore oil rig worker. He was an attendant in a mental hospital, a fruit picker as a migrant worker, um, and a screenwriter. And so this there were these were the little, you know, side jobs, side hustles that he was doing while he was, he was doing the the main hustle, if you will, which was the the writing of the novel. Um, and so 1986 to 2000, uh, he, he wrote a lot of, you know, a number of screenplays, King Kong Lives, Above the Law, Joshua Tree, The Legend of Bag of Vance, um, and a few others. Uh, Legend of Bag of Vance is actually a movie with Will Smith too, I think, which I mm. haven't, haven't. Yeah, I did s- recognize that one. Have you seen it? No. No. I think Check it's based, it I think it's based around, uh, uh, no, I can't recall. Doesn't matter. It's a it's a golf movie. It's about a caddy. Uh, 
I think. Uh, something like that. Okay. And that's, uh, again, bringing big value with my comments there. <laughs> Thanks, Lachie. 1995. Golf movie or something. <laughs> Uh, so 1995 onwards, he he's actually um, his books being released. Yeah, just bear in mind he's 76 years old. So 95, um, yeah, he's well and truly uh, into his into his career here. Uh, so Gates of Fire, Tides of War, The Virtues of War, which is about Alexander the Great, and many many others. And he's written a few non-fictionals, um, which are all, as far as I can tell very like condensed short books like this one which is you know do the work warrior ethos and others so what do you think about the length of some non-fiction self-help style books it's a leading question but this is a very short book others aren't so short yeah it's bullshit I think I think I think there's like a quota of like 330 pages or something that unless you've written three or maybe maybe this is maybe this is starting to phase out or I hope it is because there are so many books that could be summarized in about half the amount of space that they've taken up in pages. Yeah. I'm talking, I'm looking at you, Simon Sinek first up. (laughs) (laughs) Some of those books should just be a a three page article. See, I haven't, I haven't read start with why, but I've heard very mixed reviews about me, me versus others. Is that what you're trying to say? No, I've heard. No, no, I've I've heard other people critique it, and, and they're just they're not fussed by it. Watch the TED talk. Leave the book. I, I That's take my it, tip. I take it won't be an appearance on the podcast then, mate. No, <laughs> I mean great idea, but again, it's not a book worth of idea. Okay. You heard it for first. Watch the TED Talk. Um, 2003, uh, Pressfield's Gates of Fire and Tides of War and The Last Amazons were respectively one, five, and number eight in the bestseller list in Greece. So, um, And these are, these are like okay. massive tomes, by the way. These are like the opposite in length to his non-fictionals, which I think in, in a narrative is great. It's big in Greece. Yeah. Well, I think I think... I think some of his books kind of revolve around, you know, ancient Greece and, you know, the, mm. and also Romans and things. So it's all in that yeah. kind of area, mate. Um, and he was also on Oprah um, on her Soul Sundays or whatever it is and, you know, did a multi-part series on that about digging into resistance and overcoming it. So... One one thing is for certain after reading this book, and that is this guy is pretty damn resilient uh, and has some serious grit for getting things done. So um, he has a little a little discussion about how he uh, eventually, because one of his big problems was not being able to get through um, finishing his writing, and so. He finally had written out the end on one of his on his first book, and you know, which took him all this time. And he said, "I never did find a buyer for that book, or the next one either. It was ten years before I got the first check for something I had written, and ten more before a novel, The Le- Legend of Bag of Vance, was actually published." 
So that's that's like a 20-year timeline before one of the things that he set out to do, you know, which was write a novel, um, got published. So he's, he's taken a few hits. That's a dedication to an You've art. just got to be, yeah, it's someone is doing it because they want to, not for the external results, isn't it? I wrote for 17 years before I earned my first penny. <laughs> and I wrote, for, I wrote for 27, oh, 27 years um, before I got my first novel published. And then during that time he worked 21 different jobs in 11 states. So wow. pretty, no, pretty nomadic and pretty like, you know, that's pretty, pretty out there. Interesting life. So tell me about Resistance. Lucky. Okay, so resistance. So the book is about the concept of resistance. So effectively it's that feeling you get when you want to do something but you just don't do it. And it's a mix of fear and um, other feelings that we'll go into. Um, and he goes deep into this but he's got a few quotes. Um, um, so effectively it's kind of like, we might start it with this. He says, most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. So it's effectively that thing you feel that stops you from doing what you know your work is to do. Yeah, it's, it's what Freud, Freud called the, uh, the death wish, mate which is the, the destructive force inside human nature that rises whenever a tough long-term course of action that might do for us or others something that's actually good. And we just keep <laughs> shuffling, it, shuffling it to the wayside. Yeah. And so he describes things as this resistance as we experience as an energy field radiating from a working potential. It's a repelling force. It's negative. Its aim is to shove us away, to distract us, prevent us from doing our work. So effectively the resistance obstructs anyone from moving only from a lower state to a higher state as judged internally by the person who's, who's experiencing the resistance. What, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean by so, lower sphere to higher sphere? So what I mean by that is say... Um, going from say, well, let's from something that you feel is sort of it's leveling yourself up. You know, if you want to get better at writing, well, you're going to get you're going to move up by doing the writing and showing your work and getting people to provide comment on it and things like that. Um, and by not doing it, you stay at that lower level. So it, it, it's the thing that stops you mentally from pushing yourself that little bit further to get further ahead and to get further ahead in the things that you really truly do want, not the things that you think you want or that sort of stuff. So it's an internal um, idea. You kind of know, you know. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a bit further detail. But we've got a few things that are common examples of what might elicit resistance that he lists in the book. Hit us with those, Matt. Yeah, well, the, the obvious one is like it's pretty clear that it's written from a, um, you know, his writing perspective, which means that, you know, any kind of creative pursuit, so it's like the painting, music, film, dance, um, 
whatever you can imagine in that space. And, and some people just have this burning desire to go and do something or they know that when they jump into an activity like that, that it just, you know, they're in their, what he calls their territory. Um, so other examples include, you know, as I said, launching a business, you know, launching an enterprise, entrepreneurial activities, getting on a health regime, spiritual advancement, um, getting abs. I think, I think that's one, uh, educa- education or, you know, doing, doing a little bit of learning. Now's a great time for that. And, or any, any of those like even, um, movements that really, you know, that pluck on your heartstrings for some particular reason. Um, and there's many other, many other things. It, it may be simply the, the job that you're doing right now. That might be, mm. yeah, that might be it too. And that's, that's important to highlight. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and this, the idea of resistance, I think, plays into like what I've kind of self-described in one of the things I've been writing about as to try and help me figure out how to move forward with difficult things is that there's, to me, there's kind of two sides to getting better at something quickly or moving, leveling up and to level up quickly, it's not a leap. It, it's kind of like you need to take a jump, I'm, I sort of been saying. So, like, in, instead of, like, taking a giant leap, you might want to jump quickly from one thing to another and level up quickly. So to do that, you kind of need skills on the one side. You can't do it without the hard skills. But then on the other side, it's kind of you have to believe that you are the type of person who will actually do that. And I think that they're the two frames that I find that I'm starting to focus more on the second type, which has got a lot to do with resistance, um, that that is actually a really powerful force that holds me down as opposed to actually having the skill to do the next thing. Quite often it's, it's I tell myself it's the skill, but it's not. It's just a I kind of got the skills to do it. I just need to take that leap of faith to get it done and not be afraid of the fear of failure and those sort of things. Yeah, well, that's that's. I think you've hit hit a um, nail on the head there, mate. Because he he does list list off a you know a lot of these typical fears that people have, and you know he starts out pretty pretty trivial. Um, you know that people might think in a particular way about you all the way through to, you know, fear of madness or fear of death and all those type of things right at the other end. But then he says, after all that, he says, but that is not the mother of all fears. And the mother of all fears is the fear that we will succeed. And that's kind of hard to kind of dig into, but it resonates with what you just said about, you know, that you are that type of person that will succeed. Yeah, what is that's kind of weird, isn't it? Not weird, but it's pretty deep. Oh, it's it's counterintuitive and it doesn't it's very hard to grasp. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it'll mean different things to different people. Um but I I quite liked this one like that yeah, it resistance does manifest itself as fear. But it's kind of more than that and 
it's so multifaceted the way it describes all the aspects of it. And this idea of resistance is really interesting because he's able to group a whole lot of feelings that happen to hold you back um, into one kind of nice idea or word. Um, but the fear behind it is super interesting because he goes, the counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident. The real one is scared to death. And I think what he's trying to say there is that everyone feels this feeling of not being good enough, not wanting to push. It's not the feeling itself that means you aren't one of the people who can do something. It's actually the quite the opposite. It's the people that recognise that that's a normal part of the the process and go forward anyway. I can't recall who it was that he spoke about, but... Um... It's a really famous stage actor and um, he said that, every, you know, before every time he still goes on stage, he basically spews because he's so nervous. Um, but he's like one of the, the best stage actors in the world. I That's Australian for vomiting. Yeah, sorry. We've got many, many words for, for that. <laughs> Take a chunder. <laughs> Uh, says something about Australians, but we won't dig into that. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it, that every time after years and years and years he still throws up before he goes on stage. I liked this one as well. He says, resistance is experienced as fear. The degree of fear equates to the strength of the resistance. Therefore, the more fear we feel about a specific enterprise, the more certain we can be that the enterprise is important to us and to the growth of our soul. You're not, you're not talking about, I don't want to go to fucking work on Monday though. No, nah. no, it's more like, well, yeah, well, let, let me ask you this. What, where do you feel resistance most? I think that's a tough, yeah, it's a tough question, right? I, I, so one example, right, and the point you're trying to make or that he's making is the, the, the fear can be used as a compass, and you know to try and try and look at it as a guiding compass for you to you know maybe direct the path as to something that might be well and truly worthwhile what what i'm very curious about though is it seems that the some of the some of the more creative pursuits because there's such a potential for long you know, a long period of time before there's any maybe commercial reality, if it ever occurs, um, this becomes they they automatically evoke that real strong emotion. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but but where where the distinction is made is the if this is really the calling then you basically can't help but do it or that you can't help but have the desire to to go and do it i think that's the point is that you can't you can't help but keep thinking about it there's a tension that exists you you'll fear it but you can't stop thinking about it or it comes back up for you over and over again and there's a tension between wanting to do it and being too afraid to yeah mate jumping jumping into this podcast 
that's something that causes a bit of resistance. I wouldn't say it's the biggest resistance, but I don't think I don't think I can give a clear answer as to what that is right now. I probably need to do a little bit of introspection myself. That's right. <laughs> well, for me, I've got a, I've got a couple for you. I mean, this podcast terrified me to do it at the start. It, it didn't feel like something that was possible at the start of this for us to, or for me to go out and release something like this. And through your help, I think we've kind of got there. Um, but it was certainly something that I found very, very difficult for a long time, but still wanted to do. I think I was the one that brought it up at the start, you know, and there's that tension. And then uh, another one for me is that I've been playing the guitar and singing and even just talking about it right now kind of terrifies me. But um, And he's not a having, bad singer, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but I actually took guitar lessons and did a little performance last year. And that was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. Um, but it's something that's come up in my life over and over again. It's something I've wanted to do. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot of reward on the other side of it if you can get there, but bloody hell, it's hard. Who's your favourite guitarist? That's hard. James Taylor, for sure. Yeah. I like that country finger-picking style. Mm-hmm. He's got a great voice too. Um, so that that's my pick. Okay, interesting. I, yeah. I'd say I'm a uh, put me in like a, a Clapton, Derek Trucks space. Okay, yeah, I don't know who Derek Trucks is. It's like blues. He's kind of sits in this weird like progressive rock bluesy um, jazz, jazz, almost like jazzy space is is a weird kind of That's blend cool. blend of the three. So it's a great a, um, great concert called Songlines. If you uh, want to check it out, I will. Um, you're a music lover. You go pretty deep into different genres and that sort of thing. Yeah, if if only I could play an instrument. No, I, I, I did used to play some, some piano and guitar and stuff, but I, I, there is an inkling to get back into that. So um, this lockdown is, is that we're still in, which I'm not sure if it will be the case when we you know, release this episode, but the harmonica is something that's quite portable. So I'm going to nice. actually start, I'm going to start learning that and that's something I've been putting off. That's awesome. So you can hold me to it. We can play a concert, mate. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that, that might be, that would be, wouldn't get many listens, that one. So We, we might be able to play at a, pri- a, primary, a, primary, a primary school performance night or something. <laughs> That's it, yeah. And we'll still get out, um, Sean. Exactly. So a big part of resistance is procrastination. You're a procrastinator, Matt? I was a born procrastinator, for sure. Mm. Yeah, born to procrastinate. Just putting things off. And what about you? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, definitely 
got some procrastination. I think when you're an adult, it becomes a little bit easier to procrastinate too. Um, there's not so much structure around you. You can kind of, you've got your own free will to avoid things however you want to. Um, but he kind of marries up the idea of procrastination with what you use to procrastinate too. Um, so I guess he kind of talks about that you can kind of tell if you're using something to procrastinate or something illicit to procrastinate, whether it be junk food, drugs, shopping, sex, TV, gossip, alcohol, the consumption of any product containing fat, sugar and salt, he says. And you can kind of judge if you're procrastinating by kind of how hollow you feel afterwards. Is this something you're doing for your own enjoyment out of a good place or not? And if you kind of feel like you're, you know, really a bit empty after you've had that sixth Kit Kat, well, you probably know that you're not actually doing something good for you. Yeah, there's these these, these recurring behaviours um, that that everyone has um, where they they know that they kind of fall into that that behaviour or there's something that triggers them and and you know typically typically people will get to the end of um, uh, yeah the end like the end of doing that particular thing, you know, whether it's like scoffing your face full of a bag of chips or something and, and they get to the end and just feel empty. You're like, yeah, that was shit. Shouldn't have done that. And then yeah, that's almost the trigger to go, Hmm, that's probably a procrastination. That's like an outlet for, for my procrastination. So it's, you know, what, what should I have been doing? What could I have been doing instead? So for me, when I was going through, certainly through high school and, you know, university, I think was my gaming. I think computer gaming, um, mm. that was, that was huge. Um, I, you probably don't realize it at the time until you kind of look back on it, but it's, it's a, it's a big thing. And I think, I think there's some, there's some very addictive games out there in this crazy world we live in. Hey, talk about yeah, esports th- too. They're then our solid careers. <laughs> yeah. You can, but I think you can actually use anything as a – you can use healthy things in this way. I know people are addicted to exercise, you know. Um, it's at – I mean, there's probably some things that are better for others, absolutely no doubt. But, you, you know, it, it has – you can have a bag of chips and feel good as well. Um, it's uh, – in some ways, it's not so much about the act itself, but why you're doing it, perhaps. Yeah, I think I think the feeling of yeah, totally. Like having a bag of chips is great. You know, I look forward to that. Yeah, you know, maybe whenever it happens, but it's when it's followed up with that kind of hollow feeling. I think is the trigger to go. Hmm, something something's not right here. Yeah, there's a good podcast, Mark Gross podcast, where he talks about all this kind of stuff and he he kind of describes, um, you know, giving up whatever your version of this is, he says. See how you feel when you don't do it. What are you feeling? And I, that was like really interesting to me because it kind of makes you think, okay, 
if I don't eat that junk food and I start to feel sad or upset or like I really should have done this or that, you can kind of understand what that thing for you is masking. Um, that was pretty, uh, pretty profound, I think. It worked for me. So I believe the majority of us are already pros though. Pros? Yeah. Professionals. That's, that's uh, short for professionals, not for a long piece of writing. So <laughs> he, um, he, actually, he actually talks about um, Somerset Mom. Um, and he was asked whether he wrote to any particular schedule uh, or when he was just struck by inspiration. And, and so he's a, he's a famous, um, famous writer. And he says, I write only when inspiration strikes. Fortunately, it strikes every morning at nine o'clock sharp. And so Pressfield says, you know, that's a pro. And what it is, is by performing the, you know, the mundane physical act of sitting down and starting work, he sets in motion a mysterious but infallible sequence of events that would produce inspiration as surely if the goddess had synchronized her watch with his. He knew if he built it, she would come. Yeah. I quite like that. And so he's, cool. he, he's actually kind of bringing, which we'll get to a little bit later, is like the muse and it's the, the muse that sits inside everyone. Um, but what he's talking about here is everyone goes to, you know, or most people go to, go to work, um, for example. Um, most people have a job or most people go to school and show up to, to school at a particular time. So the physical act of you showing up there at work um, is in effect being what he calls the professional um, so you just need to be able to apply that same, that same kind of discipline process to showing up there to becoming, you know, a professional in whatever it is that pursuit you're looking for. Yeah, it's, yeah, so he just, this is kind of his way of overcoming or talking about how resistance is overcome is, approach things like a professional, not an, not an amateur. And he he kind of throws these two things against one another to show kind of how to how the how the successful one people get through this. Um, um. Yeah, he um <laughs> this is this is where he brings in that the you know the hack. He says, you know, about the what the hack is and you know and the hack is the one that actually um, like I d- over identifies with, with that particular, particular thing that it is. So they, they, they are all, all consumed and all whole as part of this, this um, pursuit that they're doing. The success um, of the pursuit defines their worth as a person. Yeah. And it's so like. So you never, it's so hard to get over the failure of that if that's how you feel it's a natural way to kind of feel but you so much writing on it you're never going to put your stuff out right yeah unless unless you actually start start doing it and so because yeah it, it's basically paralyzing because they they're so over identified um 
just on the jobs, you know, he says, we may take some pride in our work. We may stay late. We can't, may come in on weekends. Um, and we recognize that that's not part of our job descriptions. And so th- this is something that many people already do um, without a doubt. It's just that they're applying it not necessarily in in what it is that they could or should be should be doing it in. Yeah, he kind of says, well, you know, resistance knows that the amateur composer will never write his symphony because he is so over-invested in its success and over-terrified of its failure. I can totally relate to this, (laughs) 100%. Is this in the music? Probably more in the writing. Like I've written a bunch of stuff I've never put out there. The first time I put a blog post up, I didn't even have my name or anything against it and I, I, I was like, I hope no one ever sees this, <laughs> you know. I, uh, then, I, I, know, I know how you feel, mate. I think I've got 48 drafts, blog drafts, sitting in my, in my Evernote at the moment. They just, mm. just haven't quite got there. That's it. The last 5% is the hardest. <laughs> um. But they don't take themselves too seriously, the professionals, as opposed to the amateur. He kind of touches on that too, right? And a, a big part of the what he sees as a professional is that they understand that they're going to feel all these feelings of resistance, but they're willing to show up, do the work, not over-identify with it so that they can push through it. And they're willing to release their stuff knowing that it's probably not going to work. Um but that's part of the process and working through that fear in this way is part of being a professional. It's not not feeling it and just being, you know, the rock star on stage. That's not it. It's it's feeling that fear and going out anyway. Yeah. It's like you've got to yeah, not take it so seriously. There's got to be a sense of humour. Um, says, you, don't, you know, you don't, you don't hear these, these people bitching, this trilogy is killing me. You know, instead, they don't write the trilogy at all. <laughs> so, how how do how do we actually overcome resistance, Lockie? Show up every day is his first thing, or whatever that version is for you. Show up in a regular way, and show up every time. And if you don't, don't miss twice. Now, there's heaps of famous examples of this. Jerry Seinfeld writes every day. You gave one about Nick Cave. Um, among others, in for people who want to crack into episode seven point five, I think. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and you know, there's there's lots of others of people who make sure they go to work and do the work every day. Um, and like I said, if it's not every day for you, it's every Saturday or it's whatever. You just show yourself that you're worth this or that you're going to it's reinforcing to show up and do it when you say you are going to even if you don't feel like it um and make sure you do it for the allocated time that you said you're going to do it for don't finish halfway you do it even if it doesn't feel right you just keep going and you get that two-hour block out yeah well think think i think i think like thinking about it in the sense of you know what you would do for your job you know, your your work work week is is 
is a good one there because you're not going you're not going to just go home at lunchtime at work you know and it's not to say that you need to work a eight hour nine hour day doing this particular thing you know just maybe no. turn up for two hours but sit there for the two hours don't don't leave after half an hour because something's because you're kind of just stumbling your way through it or you can't find a groove or a flow just just sit there just keep going mm. and and so that that's part of the the quest for for quality and he he says that his job is not to you know not to do that um he says he's already you know kind of coast you know consigned that particular aspect of doing the actual you know doing the actual work to the muse he just needs to he just needs to get there he just needs to get to his computer or get to his writing pad each day so what is the muse this is something that i struggled a little bit to comprehend during the book yeah it gets it gets um he gets a little bit uh i guess spiritual here or a little bit you know creative and and you know, hard to hard to kind of put a finger on in, in what things are, but uh, he does say that artists have invoked the muse since the you know time immemorial. There is a great wisdom to this. There is a magic to effacing our human arrogance and humbly in, you know, entreating help from a source we cannot see, hear, touch, or smell. Sounds pretty um, pretty out there, mate. So is it him trying to say that he turns up if he sits down at the keyboard and writes, the rest is up to some higher power to bring the words to him? It will come. It's kind of having, a, you know, the faith that it'll it'll flow through him when the time's right if he just sits down and does it. Yeah, that's that's pretty well. I think that's what he's what he's trying to say. Like, I think maybe a nice example of this is. Um, or maybe maybe you could liken it to like flow, you know, entering into like a flow state and all of a sudden, yeah, things just are coming. And then I don't know about for anyone that's written, but I've certainly written things, you know, in the past and then I come back to them and I go, oh, you know, you're like, oh, I wrote that. That's weird. I, I don't think I mm. could write that. And that it's very strange that you – um, sometimes coming back to some of these things or you, you might be struck with a, um, I don't know, an idea in the shower and it's, it's almost like you're just providing enough space to like let your mind settle down into its, into its lower reaches and, and find something mm. that's already there. Is it, an, is it an alter ego or is that a wrong, the wrong way of putting it? I don't know if it's an alter ego because I think an alter ego is he says that you know the ego is kind of part of resistance if if you want to mm. jump into that but okay. you know where where the thing that's the ego is the thing that is building and kind of making the resistance its thing it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a um Hey, you got the bloody dog going there, mate. I've got the dog barking. Sorry, everyone. Have you got an intruder it's, coming in the house? I think it's Christy coming home. It sounds like it's a bit, uh, it sounds a bit scarier than the dog actually is. She's a sweetheart. So. 
is a is a very gentle gentle giant that one holly that's it barks when you come home but that's about it <laughs> um so the the so it's, it's not it's not dylan calling himself dylan instead of robert zimmerman or whatever is it or is that part of it it's stepping into that part of you that creates yeah i don't know that's an that's a really interesting question um, a lot of artists like i've been watching the i've read a book there's a great book biography of michael jordan that we have to do on here one day but there's a Nef- now a netflix documentary about him and he kind of says well oh, after this particular game i i was mike jordan and that's when i became michael jordan you know it's a stepping into another another he's created himself as dylan would say hmm. Okay, so that seems to be a tactic for people who put themselves out there a lot. It's interesting, and in like you brought up, like Dylan, because Dylan, you know, arguably, like is continually recreating himself, you know, mm. as he says, or you know, finding finding who he is, or finding what the next thing is, and yes, it's a, it almost it's almost like them stepping into that I identity is is them you know committing to showing up and so if you if it's a kind of fr- you know dr- drag it across into pressfield's framework you know them stepping into the you know into that new identity that new name is is them going i'm going to commit to this and i'm going to show up and be it and then they just get there because you also hear about you know Dylan Dylan considers, you know, the muse, if you will, as his like sacred. There's like this sacredness to it. You never actually hear about what goes on inside of that. It's very, it's a real enigma. Mm. And he quite often will get asked by or has been asked in the past by, you know, journalists and reporters and different things about, you know, what is your, what is your process? And there's always like dismissive comments. So it's just, just happens or you know you know those, those type of responses and and moves on very quickly that's that's his he can't expose that to people but yeah is there can you do you think there's a way to apply that to people who have more you know not ma- maybe mundane's that the right word but mundane jobs like say <laughs> myself being an engineer could i could you turn up as griff you know when you go to work and you put on your and change your you know you're like it's like your lady gaga you know yeah <laughs> what's your alter ego name that gets you in the zone i, I feel like it's, it's, there's something in this yeah that's interesting i well because the, when you it's quite often you know people right at work and there's a lot of this there's people that are so different at work than what they are when they're not at work. And usually they're more of an asshole at work, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you might you might catch them on the uh, on the outside, you know, or at a, a social event or something, and you're like, oh, is you actually can have a conversation with this person? And then you come back in on Monday and. 
they're back in asshole mode. Yeah, I don't like those people. Yeah, either do I. <laughs> but so I, I wonder I, if you could use this power for good, not evil. You know. Yeah, well, it's it's part of maybe maybe is 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 stepping into in that situation is like stepping into you know, maybe a more benevolent version of, of that, you know, mm-hmm. and it might be that you're going to, you know, give in service to your team or whatever it is and you're going to commit to jumping into that, that you know, that maybe that leader that provides people someone to, you know, to look up to but you also will be there to, to service them and, and do what you need mm-hmm. to do and they kind of trust that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's, but there's many other things, you know, that we can kind of do to – because it's all well and good saying, you know, show up every day. But but that's probably that, – that can be just the – but the problem itself is is that's a hard thing to do or can be a very hard thing to do. So there's – there's probably a few a few things that we can do, which is like social pressure. That's a great one. Yeah, this is where you get more into the habit space, isn't it? This is yeah. where you try to create some sort of habit and use some tactics that are going to help you achieve that. And we, you know, I'm not going to ask you again, but can you just read Atomic Habits so we can do an episode on it? Because if I have to bloody bring it up again, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> I've downloaded it on the Kindle. It's getting closer. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> and, and I've also subscribed to James Clear's newsletter, so I've, I'm getting like a, a vibe for what he's like. All right. Yeah, you're just kind of entry-level clear and then you'll hit the book after that. So good. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um, but some of the stuff, you know, get a guide. This is something that I think is, you know, if, if Tiger Woods has a coach, why do you think you don't need one? So this is something that dawned on me that is actually, I think, in this book, um, but I've kind of felt elsewhere. I'm like, what? Everything can be learned. If, if, Tiger thinks, if Tiger and LeBron and all those guys need a coach, then so do I because I am nowhere near those guys in any aspect of what I do. So... And that person can help you go from, can help you with the skills, but they can also help you with the second part of jumping, which is what I described, convincing you that you'll be able to go to that next level. Um, they can guide you through to that that next bit. And that's what I've kind of found helpful with people mentoring me and that sort of thing, um, that it gives me the confidence to know I might be able to do it because there's someone talking to me who does it too and I go, well, I'm not that different to this person. They did it. Yeah, and they they also hold you accountable, mate. It's yeah. if, if, if you if you, you know, respect them and their time, which you know, hopefully you do, then you're not going to rock up to them on a you know, every Wednesday or every second Wednesday, whatever it is that you're catching up with them. But well, I did fuck all this week. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's all I've yeah, got. Yeah, totally, totally disregarded what you said. Um, yeah, so fuck you. That's right. You're not going to do that, are you? Um, 
break it down into like a bite-sized piece too. You don't want to be, I'm not talking about the Kit Kat there, there's a joke for you. Um, you want. You don't want to be trying to write eight hours a day. <laughs> you want to be writing for 10 minutes. This is a big atomic habits thing, you know, you've got to break it down real, real small. Um, give yourself a chance to succeed. Change one meal, not your whole diet. Baby step, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta walk, gotta walk before you can run, mate. Hundred um, percent. Be kind to yourself too. If you eat that biscuit, then don't throw everything away, and you get back on the horse. You know, be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself. That happens, but just don't try not to miss twice. We've we've been speaking about work a lot, right? And one of and, the big th- and one- junk food. Yeah. Well, one, one of the big things about work is, you know, you've got this, you've got this deliverable due, you know, next week, or you've got a tender submission, or you've got to, you've got to meet this milestone. There's, there's these things looming in the future that are, that are already locked in time. And that you just have to get there and meet it. Or, you know, or otherwise, you need to you need to come up with a really bloody good reason um, as to why it was hasn't got there. And so, another another you know good way to do this is to actually commit to a future thing. So, mm. in your case, you know, I should have signed you up quietly to a you know a performance night somewhere two months down the track, which means that you need yeah. to be ready to play then and there That's for that. Right. And then you go, well, I've got no no bloody choice now but to do it. Yes, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Creating a deadline's a, a bloody good one, mm. particularly something public. So I need to get my charger for my iPad, so you have to pad out the next 30 seconds. <laughs> so I hope you provide something valuable. I'll be back. All right. um, so <laughs> thanks, mate. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, the, probably just to, to close off, off that little bit there is, is that there is, there is some reward on the other side, but it's, it's not necessarily something, uh, that we need to be, that you're, you're striving for. And Pressfield definitely points that out throughout. And that's that we that the artist isn't doing it for you know, for all the for all the glory and fame that's on the other side, they're doing it because they they love the work, they love being there and doing it. So, as part of um, as part of that process, you know, the artist, if you will, is invested in just doing that craft. So I'm back. Nice one. How'd you go? Yeah, great. That was that was riveting. Do you, um, do you want to finish the rest without me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I think that was that was pretty well lit, mate. The only the only other um, thought I had was that Pressfield highlights how we it isn't for the love of the reward. It's you know all the glory, the fame. It's it's for the love of doing the craft so but there is not the external 
reward as such of the gratification of getting your screenplay published or whatever, that's nice. But pushing through the resistance gives you great reward just from doing the thing rather than the th- that's something that is nice too. Like you kind of realise no one cares as much as you do but that's a nice realisation because it allows you to fail um, if you need to and I think also you gain strength through that action to show yourself you're moving forward and you've, you care enough about yourself to have gone up to that next level and and uh, push through something that's quite difficult. It gives you self-confidence, I think. So there are some intrinsic rewards from pushing through resistance. Yeah, and I, I think that probably comes as a good a good little trigger point is having, you know, say completed some bit of doing the work um, and there's, there isn't that satisfaction, there isn't that, you know, that nice fuzzy feeling that you get inside after doing it, um, that might be a trigger to go, hmm, maybe this isn't the, isn't what I thought it was or it, it doesn't mm. provide as much intrinsic of a jolt as I, I kind of set out. So maybe my motivations are coming from elsewhere and that's, that's something to be mindful of. Interesting. What's one thing you'll do differently because of this book? Show up. That's awesome. Yeah, me too. I'm going to start writing every day like I was that I've dropped off and I've let resistance beat me and I'm going back to it. So good on you. I'm going to, I'm look forward to holding you accountable to that, Lockie. Okay. And I've got a, I've got a ship too. Real artist ship, they say, isn't it? You got to. Yeah. Well, let's, let's highlight here with, because this is very Seth Godin, you know, show up and ship is the, is his two biggest, you know, phrases, I would say. So you got something nice for us to close out. Yeah, this is this is this is really quotey. So just to finish up, the most pernicious aspect of procrastination is that it become can become a habit. We don't just put off our lives today, we put them off till our deathbed. Never forget this very moment we can change our lives. There never was a moment and never will be when we are without the power to alter our destiny. This second, we can turn the tables on resistance. This second, we can sit down and do our work. That's awesome. It's uh, it's pretty self-helpy, but it's very motivational and I highly recommend this book and I believe so do you. Big thumbs up, mate. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Cheers.